It is the podcast that keeps on giving. That's how I would describe uh, the last few weeks uh, around Ingoal Radio, the podcast, and in the National Hockey League as guests from episodes like 10, 20, 30 uh, ago are popping up in and around the NHL and the hockey world. Uh, welcome to Ingoal Radio, the podcast presented by the Hockey Shop, source for sports, Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. I'm Darren Millard, along with David Hutchison and Kevin Woodley. So uh, a week ago, it's Sean Burke, who was uh, a great guest uh, a long time ago. Uh, in our, I don't know, I want to say the first 50 episodes, uh, talking about uh, his philosophy of goaltending. And he's been hired as the Montreal Canadiens uh, Director of Goaltending. Uh, we're going to repurpose that and uh, give you an idea of uh, of what's going on and went into that into that conversation and how it might impact what Sean Burke does uh, with the Canadiens net mining. And then Troy Grosnick uh, is in the news, and we'll get to that in just a little bit. But first, uh, Woody, uh, what's happening over at Ingle? Yeah, well, one of the articles, speaking of guys who are in the news, uh, somebody you're familiar with there in Vegas, Darren, uh, topped our leaderboard when we went in-depth on the numbers with ClearSight Analytics last week to sort of give us, uh, as we approach the midseason, give us an idea of who really deserves to be in the Vesna race when you consider the shot quality they're facing. I think a lot of the public metrics had Andre Vasilevsky. We saw numbers that showed him as sort of a front runner, uh, and we ran the numbers through ClearSight Analytics, and it's actually Marc-Andre Fleury by... Now a little bit of a considerable margin. He's up to 20 goals saved on the season. Like what a remarkable start um, for for Flower. And Vasilevsky's not far behind him at just under 15. And Thatcher Demko, a name that when you look at the raw numbers and the raw save percentage, you wouldn't even have in that conversation. Um, but watching him here in Vancouver and knowing just how bad this team is defensively, you you can see that he's playing better than the raw numbers. And when you do adjust those numbers, um, he's actually in the top three right now in the National Hockey League. At the very worst, if you if you want to weight them different ways, like he's a top five goalie right now in the NHL and should be in the conversation at the, the midway point for the Vesna Trophy. So that's up at ingoalmag.com. Ingoal Premium members can, you know, this is, ClearSight Analytics is, uh, you know, a proprietary um, sort of pay-to-play uh, service that the NHL teams use. And we get a peek under the hood and get to share that with our listeners, so we're, with our audience. So. Uh, there's a little glimpse of the article, which goes a little more in depth on the specifics, some of the ways that those guys are having success, specific shot types um, that they're doing better than everyone else to this point in the season. So it's fun to look at those numbers because I'll be honest with you, sometimes it's a surprise to me. Like I watched Demko every night. I knew he was having a great season. Uh, when I looked up the numbers, when he first started to pop into that top five range like three weeks ago, um, I was I was surprised by that. And he's just continued to climb. So it's nice to... It's nice when you look at these numbers and and they sort of weight things that no one else does in terms of what what actually makes shot quality matter. And you kind of get a glimpse of, you know, a, a better reflection of how guys are playing than you could ever get just by looking up, say, percentage on NHL.com. Everybody's a little different. Uh, Hutch, I'm curious. Uh, how do you weigh the numbers with the eye test when you look at uh, a list like that? I think it's interesting because all of us, as we're talking about performances, are going back to the eye test. I actually think it's interesting that the two seem to match up pretty darn well. The justifications that people give for different goaltenders actually come through in the metrics. What I found really interesting about the article, Woody, was the little back and forth we had as as we were editing it. Because there were a couple nuggets in there that I'm not sure everybody's aware of that that stood out for me. And one, for example, 
was their save percentage data being a little bit different than what we see on NHL.com? And then also uh, a discussion we had about why is it the ClearSight has slightly different numbers than the models coming out from other companies? And I think people getting in there to learn some of those things and and the difference for me, learning it that the NHL numbers aren't as scrutinized perhaps quite as much as ClearSight is because every single shot is reviewed with those 32 points of data. Came up in the game the other night as we were watching Thatcher Demko and I texted Woody or, or perhaps both of you as a shot rang off the post and it went up on the board as the first shot on goal for the night. And, uh, and so the numbers you'll see in there are, are a little bit different than what everybody else sees publicly. And those are the numbers that so many people refer to, those public, those public numbers. But yeah, I found it a really fascinating article, not just for the look at those individual goaltenders, but just learning a little bit more about, about the data and the process behind it. Yeah, and of course, not just in terms of making sure the data is more accurate. Um, the public data sometimes has some discrepancies in it. But frankly, the people that work with public data who are brilliant, you know, truthfully, uh, and the work they do, um, they, they, they in large samples are able to adjust for rink bias and some of the misses that the trackers um, have in, in the way they track the data live. And that's not an easy job mm. either, right? Tracking it live for NHL.com. And the priority actually isn't the accuracy that we're looking at here with ClearSight. But the other thing, and it's 34 points of data um, that they measure, it's weighing that. Things like screens, cross-ice passes, low-high plays, broken plays, deflections, traffic. Those are all factors that, you know, for the most part, almost, almost all don't get weighed in the public. And even in other private models aren't considered. Like screens and traffic are not part of factors of some of the other proprietary models that are out there, private companies that some of them that work with a lot of NHL teams don't have that they're they're they don't have the ability to measure screens and sight lines and look at sight lines like that so and i imagine some of that could be a little bit objective but i've seen the sort of lists of rules and and sort of the way they factor things and try and make it hard line black or white whether it's whether this was a screen or whether you know how they measure those types of things things like how long between a shot hits a a pass hits a player stick and is on net um Things like frame rate, measure the frame, how many frames between hitting the stick and being on net to qualify as a one-timer or a cross-ice pass to a shot um, to determine you have this much, this many frames equals this much time, and anything more than that is no longer a cross-ice pass because the goalie had time to get across. So things like that that go into to creating you know, what I think is... Uh, at least, at the very least, is, is the best reflection of the shot quality guys are seeing. And some of the other nuances in there... Like, yes, Thatcher Demko's third in the NHL and goals saved right now using that metric. But when we dig a little deeper, we can look at how he fares on different types of shots. And the truth is, for as good as he's been on the whole, he's also been not as good on low-quality shots. Like, he's performing right at the expected level on low-quality shots. Because he's seeing so many, he's actually given up, like, the third most in the league. And that context, to me, Darren, matters some of the eye test stuff here in Vancouver was there's been some goals that you can see deflate a team and you know how, and then in, 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 on the radio and those conversations about, you know, bad goals and, and, and bad timing on goals and what that does to a team, the math sort of backs it up there a little bit that as good as he's been on a whole, there are still these goals that have plagued him a little bit, especially early in the season. And when you juxtapose that to Jacob Markstrom, who's biggest strength in his last two years with the Vancouver Canucks was that he just did not give those up. 
that's where you see that narrative of, yeah, okay, he looks like he's playing great, but he's giving up bad goals. Uh, yeah, because you were used to Jacob Marsham, who frankly was the best in the NHL at not giving up those goals last season. So I love how usually the eye test and the numbers, especially when you can dig into them this deep, you'll find some crossover there. And the beauty part is if you're a coach, and this is what I love, not that I'm a coach, but I love to look at this. I can find the numbers that are weak, right? Hit a button and get a playlist on all those shots. So I'll give you an example. Carey Price, and we didn't get into this for this article, but everybody's all over Carey Price right now. And his season has not been good. Um, his last four starts, he's got a 963. So it's getting better. And interestingly enough, that was after four days with yeah, Stephon Wade. Yeah. yeah. Um, but his biggest, up to that point, he'd given up 37 goals. Nine of them were on screens. So he was well below on screens. He'd given up the third most screen goals in the NHL with nine, but he'd seen the 66th most screen shots. So he was giving them up at a much higher rate um, compared to how, it's not like he was just getting inundated with screenshots and that's why the, the total was high. His rates were bad. They were, it's, it's the area where he has performed the worst this season. So click a button, click two buttons, and you get a playlist of all the video, of all the shots and all the goals. And in a lot of them, his teammates are part of those screens. They've built this giant defense. And now if you were the coach, you can look at, well, okay, we, we put a bunch of oak trees in front of them. They're getting in his sight lines. But then also, how's he playing them? Well, in a lot of them, he's locked in his low and wide stance and he's trying to look around the hips and around the waist instead of playing narrow and tall and looking up and over. So I'm sure that'll be a part of Sean Burke's evaluation. Do we need to adjust how we're managing screens? So again, like it gives you more layers to the narrative, uh, not letting him off the hook for a poor season to date. Um, again, up to the last four games. But the context of, yeah, there's been a lot of screens and how they're handling screens is part of it. But also, do we need to look at how he's playing screen? So I, to me, that's what I love. To be able to dig through all those things, see the numbers and then match them to the video and see if you can find trends. Boom, that's where, that's where you win. What you're saying is the data informs the eye test, you know? So, in, so it's, it's yeah, not okay. just I mean, people standing yeah. around. I think I see this. I think I see that. The numbers say, okay, now you can really dig in. Because even if the numbers say, as you talked about with screens, or there too many are going in, that still informs, okay, why is this? And what, what can we do about it? And then also those numbers are something that a little bit concrete to go on that that if you're having a discussion with someone, uh, you know, it's black and white. There it is. So it, it can inform that discussion well, and the eye test. Well, and sometimes it does buck the eye test or it just it, it, it shows that the narrative isn't accurate. Now, I'd point to the article that Paul Campbell did for us last year on Jordan Bennington. Yep. Everyone saw it as a sophomore slump based on the raw numbers. But when you looked at the data, Bennington was on the outside, like he was just on the edge of it. There's a guy that just signed it. And a lot of this is now coming back. He signed last night a six times six contract extension 36 million dollar contract extension and everyone's like oh this is going to age poorly he had a sophomore slump last year you know like look his numbers have been down since the stanley cup season but paul's when paul looked at the adjusted numbers it's like you know the narrative that was actually wrong coming out of the cup run in st louis was they that they were good defensively jordan bennington actually patched up some really poor defensive things in terms of the shot quality that they gave up and he hasn't done it at the same level this season but he did last year He's still net positive on uh, goals saved. Like he's he's like tenth in the NHL right now, so he's still like in that top ten discussion. And so, you know, to measure 
the way that contract's being received publicly and some of the analysis around that versus the adjusted numbers like Paul did last year, you know, again, some of the eye test narrative stuff isn't true. And in that case, it was both ways. It was Jordan Bennington and the idea he'd had a sophomore slump, but also the whole concept that the Blues were this great defensive team. It just wasn't true. A clarification explanation uh, on the other side uh, regarding these uh, stats that we've been talking about. And then I have a question for you guys that I would like answered next week. And I'm going to give you a week to really mull over your answer to this. But uh, first up, uh, it is In Gold Radio, the podcast presented by The Hockey Shop, source for sports story, thehockeyshop.com. What's happening at The Hockey Shop right now, Woody? Well, we we also had big news last week with the Eflex 5 and the customizer and the fact that once you go on the CCM customizer, and I saw they had a great graphic today for the Eflex 5, um, sort of showing off the different rebound, um, what it looks like underneath the pad, the different face of the pad. One can be active, one can be soft. You get to choose that on the customizer. Once you've done that customization, once you've played with your designs, uh, once you've picked your specs and you want to order your custom set, make sure you call Cam at the Hockey Shop. Check them out at thehockeyshop.com. You can get those orders in now. And if you're looking at that and you're looking at the spec list and you're like, hey, I don't want the active rebounds. I don't need the flat face knee rolls. Some of the things that you know are on the Eflex 5, they're awesome, but maybe I don't need that because I can save big bucks on the Eflex 4. That's on sale right now as well, the entire line. So they continue Make sure you check them out at thehockeyshop.com. They continue to discount past models as they get ready. And we've got more coming in the next couple of weeks to tell you about the new lines, what's in them, what they're all about. Uh, As they get ready for those to come in, they got to make room. And that means great opportunities to save money on last year's and past year's models at thehockeyshop.com. And we have a great gear segment coming up in just a little bit with Cam. And it's uh, it's the most unique gear segment that we've ever offered on In Goal Radio, the podcast. Now to the clarification and the explanation before to my big uh, before I get to my big question. Uh, the numbers that you bring up, uh, can you give me some context? Uh, what plus twenty uh, means for Mark Andre Fleury? Basically, it means that you take his defensive environment and you measure the quality of it, and how many of those shots were expected to go in based on how often they've gone in historically in a model created around measuring all these shots over the years. And then you adjust how many he's like. You're basically weighing his performance relative to environment, relative to shot quality. And 20 more goals based on the quality he's faced should have gone in compared to what he's allowed. He's saved them 20 goals above that expected model based on the quality he's faced. That's the easiest way to put it. And obviously, if you're underperforming your environment, you have a negative number, but he's He's plus 20 on the good side. And that's for the year? That's for the year. So that's a cumulative stat. If you want to, like they do have other ones. Like that's just a nice way to sort of add up your season. And we were talking about, you know, things like, uh, you know, mid-season awards and who's leading the Vesna. So that's a cumulative thing, right? Um, If you were to look just sort of, you can measure save percentage differential. In other words, you know, sort of on a more per shot basis, like his how much better is his save percentage above what's expected? He's actually number one with a bullet there too. He's 5% above expected. Like he should, what, what's he running right now? Like a 940? Based on expected, that should be an 890. Like that's how much he is outperforming that environment. Vasilevsky's at 3.1%. Demko's at two and a half. Cal Peterson, um, after a rough last, last start, he was actually third. He's now down to fourth at 2.4%. And our good friend Mike Smith, who's having a hell of a season with the uh, 
with the Edmonton Oilers is fifth right now at one and a half percent above expected. Thank you for that. So here's my question. I want you guys to mull over and give me an answer next week. The Vesna Trophy, should there be a formula where we combine the eye test, the voting from the general managers, and couple that with the percentages, the stats? So we give the numbers 30% of the weight and then the eye test 70%. Some way to blend new world versus old world. If you guys can mull that over and let me know, because I think in goaltending, it might be the one area where you can blend stats, advanced stats with the eye test. And if Marc Andre Fleury is first in the stats, but the managers make him fourth, maybe finishes second in the overall. Voting for the best. I'm just giving you an example there, but uh, I want you guys to think about it. Just, just Does, mull that over. I see, the big problem with your thing there has nothing to do. Like the general manager, it, this discussion ends with what you said. The general managers vote on this, so there's only one thing that matters to them, and that's historically proven. We've proven it. We've looked at it. Wins. That's all that matters. It's all about but, wins. Okay, so they have their say, and then the stats have its say, and we blend the two together. That's and what I want to know. If if we can come up with a formula on that and what that formula would be, think about it. Don't ruin my question. I'm I'm offering a tease for next week. I what, knew would he jump we, in with this? He can't wait yeah. a week. That's right. Because then let's be honest. Let's. We, he also can't think. That was the key problem there. You assumed that I could think. I'm, I'm and a that's why I want to give you time to 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 really mull it over. Hey, Troy Grosnick. Uh, what a story a couple of weeks ago on Ingle Radio, the podcast, uh, up to Edmonton and back, and the snowstorm and the. The vehicle, uh, pulling over the side of the road, all that, and he's uh, back in the National Hockey League, Woody. With a W. Like, and he played really well in that really game. Well. I te- texted him after the game. Texted, went back and forth with Billy Ranford after the game, too. He'd actually come off a couple after. Like, he hasn't played, right? Like, he's he's been bouncing around in quarantines. He spent all this time in hotel rooms. He, like, he hasn't played. I don't know. His, like, his, I have to look it up, but his last game might be pre-quarantine. Like, like. Mart like a, a calendar year because there was no American Hockey League and he didn't so he'd only gotten into two games in the AHL the week before uh, getting this start in the NHL and it didn't go all that well like it, you know to be expected if you haven't played for a calendar year but um, to to go in and have that performance like this wasn't just hey the Kings played good and 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 Troy Grosnick got a win this is Troy Grosnick played really well behind a good Kings effort and the LA Kings got a win and what like six years between starts in the National Hockey League. Um, we've talked about it with him. We've talked about it ourselves, like, and the Kings, like they believed when they signed him for the, that he was ready. If he got the opportunity that he was ready for it, a couple great years in the AHL, 920 plus save percentage of the last two, like you, you can evolve, you can get better. He's, 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 he's ready for this opportunity. It's so nice to see him take advantage of it. That was awesome. I loved his celebration too. The teammates came over to give him the headbutts and the, uh, and the high fives. And then he stepped to the side and did his little fist bump, uh, slide. <laughs> Uh, to just acknowledge it, that it was it was outstanding. Hey, our feature interview presented by Sensorina VR uh, features a top coach from a major sports league in North America who has this passion for hockey and a real, real desire to take uh, his uh, level of knowledge in the goaltending world and see where it takes him and uh, can he get to the National Hockey League. So we've got uh, that coming up. Uh, an awesome discussion with Brian uh, Holland. Uh, in just a little bit, but uh, the gear segment this week 
takes us over to the hockey shop, thehockeyshop.com and Source for Sports Surrey with Kevin Woodley, who gets creative in working from a distance with one Ken Matwith. Welcome back to the Hockey Shop Source of Sports for Down Here in Goalie Utopia. You'll see that it's just myself, Cam, here. Uh, Kevin is nowhere to be found, actually. It's a little strange in this morning, but... Uh... Hey, ho, ho, T, 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 T. Somebody has to direct this go from the other side of the camera. Look at this guy. He already thinks he's, like, running things here. Hey, All right, can... keep going. Anyone can add a voiceover in and not be here. So today, today, we're going to talk about the eflex 4 that we got on sale for here at the hockey shop source of sports and the hockey shop.com uh with eflex 5 just on the horizon here uh we're running into early march and uh once we hit uh early to mid april we'll be talking about eflex 5 here on the shelves but in the meantime what that does mean though eflex 4 is now on sale you can see it at uh, the hockey shop.com 20% off Right now, we've still got a couple colors left, a couple good sizes, and this includes its derivative lines as well in the Eflex 4.9 and in the 4.5. Uh, a couple quick callouts. Uh, we do have some exclusive colors again that we did uh, with our Eflex 4 pads. Uh, we also did something a little bit different. You will see a THS spec glove. We decided that having a single T and a Pro Palm, uh, the glove closed a little bit more consistently and also had that little bit of extra protection. So, uh, great offering there. Um, another quick call out would be in our 4.9 series pad and 4.5 series pad. You'll see the SDC version. What uh, our director has graciously handed me is actually just a regular inline 4.9. Great effort. Uh, the 4.9 and 4.5 with the flat knee rolls would be our SDC. As we see here. So flattened out knee rolls. Bit of a beefier knee stack in the leg pad. When it comes to the glove, you do have the better palm that you would find in the uh, Game Ready Pro Trapper. Uh, we've brought that down into the derivatives of the 4.9 and 4.5, so you'll find D3O in there. The blocker has the same index finger as the Pro, so D3O in the finger stall as well uh, on the index finger. So a nice little upgrade worth calling out, all on sale at thehockeyshop.com. Here comes a 4.5, again, Quite a few different colors, lots of options. Again, that flattened out knee roll. You can check it all out here at thehockeyshop.com or you can give me a call at 604-589-8299. Back to you, Kevin. Hold on, where's the 1-800 number? He didn't bring his card. All right, we'll queue up Surrey. My name is Surrey. Woody, not Surrey. Get it together, will you, you donkey? And as for you, Matt, with for the last time, it's 1-800-567-7790. Thanks for watching, everyone. Now go smash that like button, please. Oh, Siri, just given Woodley the business. And, and you know what? Rightly so. Seriously, buddy. Siri. Not Surrey. You know, the sad part is, is I'm going to blame this on living in Surrey. I live in South Surrey. I used to live in White Rock, and they used to say that living in White Rock meant not having to say you're Surrey. But evidently, all I do is say I'm Surrey. So my apologies to Siri. 
I can't, I can't, I can't believe, I, I can't believe in my attempt to absolutely rip and chirp Cam, I got chirped by artificial intelligence device. This is, this is a little, this sorry. is a little point. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. It's sorry, sorry, sorry. Sorry, sorry. sorry. I say I get the, the flack about uh, how we pronounce sorry as a Canadian uh, down in the United States, but Surrey and Siri, it seems pretty obvious to me. So uh, good job, Hutch. Uh, thanks for connecting with Siri on that and uh, and letting Siri know uh, about the issue and uh, and the opportunity to respond. It's really nice to be able to uh, take pot shots at Woody when he's got no opportunity to defend himself. <laughs> <laughs> and Cam uh, will appreciate that as well. Uh, great job over there at the hockey shop, thehockeyshop.com. Source for Sports Surrey. Our feature interview this week is with uh, a real top coach in a major professional sports league who uh, has this passion for goaltending. And the feature interview is presented by Sense Arena VR. Hutch. Yeah, and thanks to Sense Arena, we're able to to bring this interview to you this week. And, you know, Sense Arena has um, a number of different sort of programs you can work with. You can do some regular sort of diagnostic work to see where you stand. You can drill right in there manually and uh, work through all the different drills that are available to you in the system, which include, you know, some basic sort of drills, some things that you would do with a goaltending coach to some game situations and even some neurocognitive drills. So there's a lot of great stuff in Sense Arena and we've just loved the opportunity to work with it. And I know the pros we talk to all the time are, are really enjoying working with it as well. It's just so, so realistic. But, you know, guys, one of the things I wanted to point out this week so often, again, as we talked eye test earlier in this podcast episode, we hear people talking about how a goaltender looks so calm in the net. He looks so controlled in the net. And one of the tools that's available in um, Sense Arena to help you with that is the box control tool. And so while you're working in a drill, uh, these perceived lines are drawn on the screen for you that run from the, the puck up to the top of each post and the bottom of each post so that you can see in front of you the net space that you have to fill. And when we had Eric Comrie on that webinar, you'll remember he talked about how great those box control lines are because they show him how little he actually has to move to reach a puck wherever it is in the net. And so that tool can really help calm your game because you realize how little you need to do. You don't need to overreact on every single shot. And we don't have that tool when we're on the ice. It's one of the great things that um, virtual reality does to, to augment um, to augment our training. So we're, we're thrilled to be able to use it. That is a, what a tool to be able to see that in, in real time as you're going through your training and to have that feedback of less, less is good. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a, it's an absolute game changer. And then of course the opportunity to review what you said, what, what you went through as well, because you can do a replay from your perspective or the shooter's perspective. And how many times have you been into practice? Well, way back when you weren't playing beer league and there were practices. And a guy's beat you a couple of times somewhere and you're not really sure. And you want to say, hey, what did you see there? Well, now you know. Uh, so, yeah, what a fantastic tool. Sense Arena VR uh, presenting our feature interview. Uh, that is the technology that goaltending uh, is leaning on right now. You know, a sport like NASCAR has used simulators for a long time and they're getting more and more realistic. During the pause, in fact, there was the uh, simulation league where, where they were running races uh, with, with the drivers. But it goes so much deeper than that uh, when it comes to success. And this week's uh, feature interview is uh, catching up with Brian Holland, uh, who is the head coach of the pit crew of Joe Gibbs Racing. And it's not 
just racing. This this uh, has a a real tie-in with goaltending because Brian is a former goaltender, Division One athlete who, despite making uh, a living in the racing world, Hutch, his passion is clearly defined. Isn't it though? And I think people will hear that right away in the interview. It was really great that Brian reached out to us, and I was a little bit floored when somebody who was a coach for a top NASCAR team, and he's been with a couple over the years, uh, reached out and wanted to talk goaltending because he saw the similarities between this this huge sport, uh, which on the surface is quite different, obviously, than goaltending. So it was a fascinating chat getting into all the details. I had no idea. I mean, I knew NASCAR was huge, but but to understand um, how big the role of the pit crew is and and how these guys are elite athletes that are brought into the sport uh, because because those skills are so important and not just the physical skills, but the mental skills as well. So I think that tie-in between NASCAR and goaltending, I never would have expected it, but I think people are going to enjoy hearing more about it. It's an interesting conversation that will cross uh, boundaries from uh, behind the wheel to behind the mask, and then everybody else that helps you along that journey. It's our feature interview brought to you by Sensorina VR on In Goal Radio, the podcast with Brian Holland with David Hutchison. Brian, welcome to the In Goal Radio podcast. Uh, great to have you as a really a unique guest this week. Perhaps we can just get started and you can tell us what's that connection between you as a goaltending coach uh, who is also the pit crew coach for uh, one of the top teams in NASCAR, Joe Gibbs Racing. So I played played Division One college hockey in Omaha. Um, we had a team psychologist there that had a connection with NASCAR. And, you know, he basically said, you know, we're trying to bring in athletes to learn how to change tires or, or do pit stops. Right. Um, and, and I got that opportunity to come down and, and kind of learn. And it was, so I was a tire changer for like eight years, but there were so many similarities between being a goaltender and changing tires. Like you, you've got to be square to the puck to stop it. You've got to be square to the wheel to hit lug nuts square, to be able to, to remove them and, and do fast pit stops. Um, reading or react, you know, you're playing in traffic compared to footwork, being on the footwork ice, I'm sure. Yeah. Footwork, agility, hand-eye coordination. Um, so I had a, you know, I had a successful career as the tire changer and then, you know, that, that opened up doors in the, in the coaching world. And, you know, now I'm, I'm probably the, the luckiest guy <laughs> in NASCAR to be able to be the, the head coach at, at Joe Gibbs racing. Um, just, the the top of, of NASCAR really when it comes to pit crews and, and jobs that are available in this sport. So a bit like being a goalie coach for, for an original six franchise or something, isn't it? Well, yeah. And, and, and that's the, that's the other thing. Like I've, I've got such a passion for, for coaching goalies also. So, you know, I'll work all day long here at the shop and then I leave the shop and I go straight down to the hockey rink and I coach, you know, I see, around 30 goalies a week. Right. And it's, it's always, it's, you know, whether it's far-fetched or realistic, but my dream is to, is to be an NHL goalie coach. And, you know, I've, I've been part of, of, you know, USA hockey's goalie nation since that started. Um, I'm the goalie development coordinator for North and South Carolina. Um, So it's just, you know, 
obviously my, my job at Joe Gibbs racing is number one priority, but I, I continue to, to focus on the, the other side, you know, that dream that's still glimmering uh, off to the, to the side that, that you just don't want to let go of. And, you know, um, have seen guys that, that I've coached alongside and with through the, through the ranks, uh, you know, Phil Ozer, um, getting to, to Detroit, um, you know, talked in detail with him, like, man, how do you, how do you get in that NHL? Like, how, how do you make it in that space? Um, and, and, you know, you get frustrated when it's like, well, I never, I never played at that high of level. Like you need to, you need to possibly, and Phil's like, no, stop. Like you, you can accomplish this without being an, a former NHL goaltender. Um, more, so, more than half the coaches there now didn't play in the NHL. Yeah. And, and, you know? and that's, you know, is it, it's a dream for sure. Like, you know, I keep, <laughs> you keep, you always keep an eye on where the openings are and, and see if there's any connections that, that you may have. Um, you know, my college coach, um, he actually recruited me to Omaha's, uh, David Quinn with the Rangers and right, I, yeah. know, I tease at him. Um, but you know, obviously they're, they're pretty strong in that area. Um, but you know, you know, you never know what, what could happen. It's, kind of funny i mean it's a little bit like a guy being a head coach in the nhl and wishing he was a head coach in a different sport i mean you're at the top of the professional ranks and you're in your sport now it yeah. speaks to the passion you must have for goaltending yeah yeah no it's it, it's enjoyable and um you know again to, to to have something that we have going on in north carolina it, it's it's really special like um you know and i've just built it you know, 10 plus years of, of being a consistent figure at the rink and, you know, the things we've been able to implement the weekly goalie sessions and, and to see these kids. And, and now I'm, I'm taking it one step further. And some of the kids that I started with, they were 10 years old and now they're in their twenties and now they're not playing anymore, but they're coaching the position, which nice. is, you know, it's pretty rewarding to, to see that. And now, you know, coach alongside of them, which is, is pretty neat. Let, let's rewind and then come back to, to, to NASCAR in a bit, but uh, where'd you grow up and how'd you get your start in hockey and, and why goaltending? Yeah, so um, this is a funny story, but Minot, North Dakota. Um, so uh, my start in goaltending, the, the way it all happened is uh, we had a tournament. At, I think we were squirts and this is when you just had a, a bag of goalie equipment that, that got passed around the team, right? Sure. And we were, we were playing this team from Canada. I don't remember what city it was, but they were, they had beat everybody in the tournament by 10 plus goals. And my brother was supposed to be the best goalie on our team. So we ended up with the bag, um, but he ends up getting sick that morning. So I, I end up throwing the gear on and, and we want where we lost the game two to one, but like, I don't even know how I played as well as I did. And then from that moment on, it was just like, oh my gosh, I'm actually decent at this. And, and that's kind of where it took off is just from that one experience that, that it was like, wow, th this is, this is, this is going to be fun. Um, maybe it was because I wasn't that great a player, <laughs> but uh, that's kind of where it started. Um, wow. going, going in through that, um, you know, hockey's changed so much over the years and what you can and can't do, you know, back then you, you could always, you know, play up and my brother's a, a year ahead of me. Um, but it got to the point 
<laughs> where when we got to, you know, Bantams, uh, it was, you know, we had AAA hockey there. It was, okay, can Brian play on this team? Well, yeah, he can play on the team if you take his brother too. So it was, <laughs> I was helping him, you know, kind of along, um, you know, and then played high school hockey in, in North Dakota, in Minot there. And then my senior year of high school, I went down and, and played in the USHL in Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, so that, that was, I mean, that was eye opening. I was 17 and, and leaving home, you know, for the first time um, to, to go and, and do that. And, you know, obviously that, that opened a lot of doors, um, you know, made some, made some good connections there. Um, it, it's so much about where you are and, and you look back at your path and, and how you get to certain places in your life. And, and that decision that I made at 17 years old, um, I never would have known that it would influence the rest of my life. Right. If I hadn't gone to Lincoln, I wouldn't have probably ended up in Omaha and I wouldn't have met that team psychologist that eventually got me, you know, to where I'm at right now. Yeah, that's amazing. It, it, I couldn't agree more. The small decisions we make in life can take us some, through some incredible paths. Yeah. Uh, so from NCAA division one goaltender to NASCAR tire changer. I do have to hit on one one point at the Division One level because I always bring this up. And uh, so Dan Ellis and I were were goalie partners. Oh, okay, um, nice. Dan had a long NHL career, right? And I always remind him that uh, on certain nights, I didn't play a lot, but on certain nights, Coach Kemp thought we had a, a better chance of winning with me in the net rather than than Ellis. So <laughs> right on, <laughs> right on. We've had a few articles with him at and in goal back in the day. So that's, yeah. Uh, that's fun to hear. So you you get recruited to um to NASCAR. What it what is it? Was it were they just looking for athletes or is there something about a goaltender that that sort of makes the fit good? Yeah, so so it really and I and I hate to so Hendrick Motorsports is, was where I started out at and they were kind of the first to to try to recruit athletes and um I'm hesitant to say like just bring in athletes because the guys doing it before me were, were athletic. Um, but they also had a big focus on, on mechanics of the race car. So they, they would work in the shop all day long, building the car and travel with the car and make sure it's ready to race. Um, you know, when the, when the sport really changed and, and they went to more athletic guys, like, Honestly, I was lucky because my dad taught me a little bit about cars and I could work on things, but we have a large population now that couldn't, couldn't fix anything or turn a wrench or do anything. They're solely, it's a professional sport and they're, they're training, you know, at the highest level of an athlete to be able to do these jobs now. Um, but yeah, when I, when I started, that was Oh four. Um, and man, you sh- just over the years, the, the way that the sports changed and, and the more athletes that have come in. Um, and it's really cool right now. Um, you know, I, I'm a big part of our recruiting process here. Um, we just hired a, a former Olympic sprinter, um, got a, a pitcher from the Atlanta Braves. I mean, we're, wow. it, it's, it's pretty cool. Some of the guys that we bring in now. Yeah. I could, I could see that the sprinters would probably be a, a great fit, both for strength and speed and, and agility. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. That's that's fascinating. So, and now the thing you, that, I, that I was always thinking about too, and, and, you know, with COVID and some of these uh, like East coast league teams and American league, like there's, there's a lot of guys out there right now that are, that are in need of a, a job. Right. For and, sure. and, 
and I've, I've tried to use some contacts to get in touch with some of these, these teams. Like, you know, there's a lot of East coast players that, that heck they're not even making an earning right now. And, and they're, you know, there, there's opportunity. And, and when you realize when you can't compete, that was, that was what pit stops did for me. Right. I, I, I knew where I was as a goalie and my, my talent level. And at some point you, you can't compete anymore, but what, NASCAR and, and being able to do pit stops did for me is it filled that competitive desire that you had. I mean, there's nothing like standing, you know, when we're in a, in a track that seats 150,000 people and cars are coming down pit road at 55 miles an hour and you're coming in first and you better go get your car back out first. That adrenaline is, is something, that, you know, it, it's, it's like, like no other sport or it's, it, you know, it's a huge moment that it's a lot of fun to, to be a part of no i think the pit stops are some of the most entertaining parts of 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 the sport for exactly the way you described the adrenaline the pressure i mean one goal one one missed to me to me you know that might even be one one of the big tie-ins is just how perfect you have to be as a goaltender and working the tires on the pit crew you you can't make mistakes can you right no it's i i use this analogy a lot when we're when we're recruiting new guys, it's, it's like the expectation is if, if you're a baseball player that you hit, you know, a thousand percent, you never, right. you never strike out. You never, you never, you always get on base. Um, and that's, that's kind of our, our job is to be mistake free and the best, every single opportunity that you get. Um, and it, and it most of the time comes down to how the pit crew performs, um, in each race that, that ultimately wins. It's hard to win a race with, with any kind of mistakes on pit road. For sure. I mean, if, if a race is being won by hundredths or tenths of a second and you can make that difference on, on one nut, can't you? Yeah. It's um, so interesting that you were recruited by a sports psychologist because that must be an important part of what you're doing now as it is for goaltenders today. It is, um, you know, it's, it's a grind and, and, you know, just like, just like goaltending, you can get in your own mind. I mean, I remember times when I was playing junior hockey and, and, and I had a coach that, that said, you know, you, you have to stop 90% of the shots. And I can remember sitting in a, or being in a game and give up the first shot that, that went on me. And then I'm sitting there going, gosh, I got to stop the next nine. And, and yeah. two shots later, you, you give up another goal. Oh gosh, I've, I've got to stop the next 17 now. Um, yeah. Now, I don't share that with a lot of our tire changer because we have obviously goals with them with, with lug nut percentages and, and how, how good they have to do. But um, the experiences that I've had um, through hockey, have you know, I've been able to really help some guys through some of those mental, um, you know, struggles that they may have had being a pick crew member now. I can absolutely relate to doing the math in my head during hockey games, <laughs> exactly yeah. like that. But I can't relate to the lug nuts because I can barely get the cover off my tire valve when I'm trying to put air in them. So it's uh, it's amazing what what you guys do. What have you learned uh, in your NASCAR career that you wish you knew when you were playing goal? You know, I I think I probably took. The, the most valuable thing, and I, and I tell all of our young developmental guys this, is is something that I learned in college. I, I was the guy that, that would show up three hours before practice and get on the ice as soon as I could and stay out there and be the last guy off the ice. And then I would go home and, and I would think about, you know, what I did and, and, and I'd come back and I'd do the same thing the next day. And, and it was just, it consumed me 
a hundred percent of the time. Um, and it took me like two years of college to realize that that's okay to work like that when you're at the rink. But when you leave, you leave the rink, you need to leave it at the rink. Um, and when you come back the next day, be ready to work and, and work. And when, when I got that figured out, I started to progress as a goalie and the same thing kind of applied. I got, I got down to North Carolina. I started practicing. Um, again, I, I was practicing or working out six out of eight hours a day that my only job was to make it as a tire changer. So I, I found myself doing the same thing. I practice, practice. I'd get back to my apartment. I would think all about pit stops. I'd watch the film that I did everything. And I'd go back and I was worse than I was the day before. And I, and I literally had this moment where I was like, wait a minute, I've already done this in college. I, I experienced this as a goalie and here's what I did differently. I, I worked and then I let it go and I came back and picked up where I left off. And that's where I found improvement both in a, in the goalie position. And then, you know, as a tire changer. Yeah. Great advice for all the, the young goalies coming up. So now um, as a coach at the higher, highest level of the sport, hoping to, to maybe one day do that in hockey as well. W- what have you learned as an NASCAR coach that you, you bring to your, your game as a goaltending coach? I, th- I think the, the biggest thing um, is everybody needs something a little bit different. There's not one coaching style that fits every one of the athletes that I have. I have to, I have to coach uh, this tire changer or this Jackman different than, than somebody on the other team. Um, and the same thing with, with goaltenders, like there, there's not one style that fits every kid. You know, I'm fortunate to work with kids that are seven, eight years old, all the way up to, you know, we have a junior program here and I've coached those kids and they're 18 to 20 years old, um, learn their style, um, see what works with them, gain, gain their respect. Um, earn their respect from them. And then you can make the, the small tweaks or, or, you know, and, and work together with the guys, right? Everybody's so educated right now. There's so much information out there. So talk through it. It can't be just, you have to do it this way. Cause this is how I did it. Um, you work together with, with the pit crew athletes or the goaltenders to, to see what works best for them. Fantastic. Sounds like you need to have a conversation with Scott Clemenson, who was our guest on episode 107 and that's the new jersey devils goaltending philosophy that that everybody's different there's no one way to do it and couldn't agree more and not just technically but uh you know my 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 background is as a teacher and not everybody learns the same way you you reach every child in a different way you know i thought i was going to be a high school physical education teacher and living in minot north dakota coaching high school hockey but it's uh it's crazy how how life takes its turns Life, life took, took a different turn. Um, inevitably, probably a left turn, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Darren Millard wanted me to ask you when you're coaching goaltenders, do your goaltenders only do left-handed C cuts or can they do right-handed C cuts as well? <laughs> no, I'll, I'll let them do either. <laughs> <for sure. laughs> I sort of envisioned maybe you're also training them to, uh, to do, you know, changing on the fly. Did you see the replay of Quinnipiac I- the other day? I did see that. How cool is that? You know, it, that is, that is awesome of, you know, the coach and, and, and both goaltenders like that. That's so cool. Um, because I, anybody that's been in that situation and, um, you know, if there's a senior on the bench and, and they're trying to get him in, like that, that's just a big boost for, for the entire program. Fantastic hockey pit stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
you know, the if, if you turn on a race, right, and, and you're watching the laps and, and you see, you know, okay, it's just a bunch of cars turning left. Um, when they come down pit road, just pay attention to those guys because they're honestly, they're, they're the heroes of the sport that are, are putting in all that work to, to get the cars back out on the track. And, and the competition level that's down on pit road is, is just phenomenal to, to be a part of. Yeah, it sounds like a sounds like an an exciting and incredibly challenging but rewarding career. What now? Now let's just reverse what I was asking you before. But what is a goaltending coach? Are you bringing to to NASCAR? What is it you do, frankly, as a as a pit crew coach? Um, you know, week to week to help these guys, and and how do the two fit together? Goaltenders? Nice. their lug nut patterns is that like a crease crease movement pattern or are they always the same they they're most of the time they're the same um but yeah i mean people don't realize how fast those those lug nut patterns are like we're we're hitting five lug nuts off in about 0.75 seconds unreal Um, yeah it's to watch their hands and the accuracy is is just incredible and then you know you have to, you have to hit them on as fast as you can, but they have to be tight. Right. Right. And you can, you can go at a 0.75 on pattern, but if you don't stay on each lug, not long enough, then, then you're coming back, excuse me, down pit road to, to replace a loose wheel. So yeah. The stakes are high. <laughs> yeah. That, that's worse than giving up. Uh, yeah. I don't know. That's worse than giving up a goal on the first shot. <laughs> but I guess that's another comparison because you give up that goal and there's 20,000 people staring at you, even though there is other people involved. Your, well, the, your wheel comes you, loose. The, that's the thing that the pressure, 
and, and honestly, with some of the athletes we have, we, we try not to educate them too much on the amount of pressure, but right. the, the dollars that are on the line for the last pit stop of the day to win the race is, is absolutely crazy. And then when you get into that championship race and the difference from winning the championship or finishing second in the championship is, you know, $5 million. So it could come down to one pit stop that's worth $5 million. You don't want that. You want the guys thinking about that as you, as you're trying to do your job, but a little um, bit like, uh, you know, we often compare goaltending to golf as well. And that single putt could be worth millions. Right. Yep. Yeah. That's, uh, the, the pressure is incredible in, in both of our sports or all, well, I guess they're both your sport, but, uh, <laughs> both, both for me, that's a, you know, it's been, it's been a fascinating chat to learn a little bit about that and to, to be able to appreciate another high level sport at, uh, in a different way than, than we did before. Um, one last one, like do guys, do guys train for, for different jobs on the crew or are you left front wheel guy, or I guess you're changing a couple wheels in NASCAR, but. Yeah. So, so typically the way we look at it is, um, your tire changers are, you know, roughly five, 11, 180 pounds, right. Your jack man is, is a, is a bigger guy that's say 246 to, um, to six, four, your gas man is, is obviously can be, can be as big as you want him to be. Um, and then your, your tire carrier, which is, is again, it's a skilled position, but they're, they're normally 215 pounds. So, so when we recruit guys, we recruit them for on size and athletic ability and then we we basically train them for a, a specialized position so you won't see any any tire changers being a jackman that's for that's for sure i guess no nhl goaltenders are training to be forwards unless you've seen flurry yeah. goofing around in practice or something but yeah. uh, i'm more thinking about as we're growing up uh through the sport and that emphasis on as you said with your own son um that ability to be a skater as well yeah no. ask anything is there anything you wanted to to get across to our <laughs> listeners that I, because I'm a little bit ignorant about a lot of ignorant about NASCAR, um, what, what am I not asking? No, I mean, I, I obviously, I, I love, love your guys' podcast and, and listening. And, and I think as a, as a coach, whether you're coaching hockey or, or NASCAR, you can always learn something, um, you know, every single day. Um, if you ever stop, stop learning, I think that's where you take steps backwards. But uh, yeah, I, I love listening to, to different coaches talk and, and trying to pick something up because, you know, ultimately I've, I've been blessed to, to be around some, some unbelievable coaches, you know, in my hockey career. And then, you know, in NASCAR that, that ultimately shaped me into the, the coach that I am today. Love the NASCAR drivers you've worked with. Who'd be the best goaltender if they laced up the skates? Are there you know, any goaltenders out there? I'd really love to know that. There, there actually is. Um, Joey Logano claims that he was a goalie, um, and he his uh, his family actually owns the rink that I I do a lot of, of my goalie stuff at. Oh, um, nice. So I and I I worked with Joey for five years. Um, I was at Penske Racing for ten years before I I got this opportunity at, at Joe Gibbs Racing. So mm-hmm. um, he claims that he can he's a goalie and he can play but i've, I've never seen him get out on the ice and, and try anything but there is there is articles if you did some research of, about him being a former goalie 
All right, challenge has been laid down on the In Goal Radio podcast. I think we need Joey to come out for one of your sessions with the kids, make an appearance, and maybe we can get something on video. <laughs> that would be fun. See if it's uh, who who would win in the in the ten puck shootout with with you shooting and and him and net. Oh, I would dominate him for sure. <laughs> I mean, right. think, my my shot accuracy is is unreal. I mean, think about all the pucks I've shot at, at kids and trying. They to say that about goaltending there. coaches. <laughs> I can hit any corner. Yeah, sure. can't get players to do it for you, so you just figure out how to do it yourself. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, that's awesome. Um, Brian, uh, thank you so much for taking the time today. Quick shout out to everybody for your your uh, school, Old School Goalie School in Charlotte, North Carolina. Yeah, thank you. And I uh, hope people check you out. And, and if anybody has any questions for Brian, you can uh, send them through the podcast and we'll be happy to pass them on. Thanks for Thanks for chatting with us today, Brian. Yep, thank you. I will admit, I was trying to figure out what a lug nut pattern was for the first little bit. I now understand that uh, through your discussion uh, with Brian. And I'm listening, going, he's a top coach of a pit crew. And he's got this, this passion where it's almost like you give it all up to to be a national hockey league goalie coach yeah flip flip that around and imagine yeah. imagine one of the goalie coaches uh in the national hockey league for one of the top franchises saying to you yeah i love working with uh this goaltender every day but man i wish i was over in nascar talking to the pit crews right now <laughs> it's i mean it doesn't mean he's not passionate about what he does because clearly he is if you look at the yes. time and energy he puts into this and and i got to talk to him sort of outside the interview as well as he described uh virtually running four cars in the nascar series because he can't be there as a coach during the whole covid protocol thing and in it sounded like he was you know running the Na- the the nasa launches not the nascar launches with something like 24 screens in front of them as they're monitoring what each of these crews are doing and you can't make a mistake on a single lug nut or or the race is over um just fascinating and he's obviously incredibly passionate about that but it we're very fortunate that he's passionate about uh, about goaltending as well i love the tie-ins lug nut percentages all the watching film breaking down technique the fact that there's no one way to do it the different athletes thrive in different you know no one way to teach it like i just it, the styles vary like the styles vary really yeah like it's like it, I was I really enjoyed that. It was a great interview, Hutch. I really I enjoyed his perspective. I enjoyed hearing about the similarities in the work. Uh, and I enjoyed, you know, his passion for both, which clearly came through. And and especially just beyond just the technical and teaching the technique, whether it's goaltending or pit stops, but the mental right. Letting the game go, not taking it home with you, um, being able to get in the moment, but then also detach from it like. So many similarities there that, you know, as he continues to coach goalies will pay off, um, but just kind of just need to get taken inside a different world and, and see how the crossover exists. The stakes there are, are incredible. And, and it, shortly after doing the interview, we got hooked on that Netflix series on Formula One. Is it Drive to Survive or something yes. like that? Yes. And boy, did it reinforce for me and Formula One an even bigger business uh one mistake in in the pit stop that lasts less than two seconds and oh we've got a loose wheel the race is over i mean it's sort of like you're in overtime all the time because that one shot goes by it's you like and being, you're done yeah 
You're done. It's over. It's like being a goalie. Yeah. Yeah. Last line of defense, man. And one mistake and you're done. It's I, I it's it, well done, Hutch. A good interview. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. The uh, idea of uh, of a pit crew came to me with Ingle Magazine, Ingle Radio, the podcast. And I'm not going to ask us for our individual uh, uh -oh. desires, which we would be. But I want I want the vote for Woody. Would Woody be Jack? Jack guy? Would he be the tire roller? Would he be the uh, lug nut uh, gun? Or would he be the gas gas man? Oh, I know the answer to this. He would be the guy who is barely allowed to change light bulbs in his house and would probably just get everyone coffee after the pit stop. <laughs> no, I think... What would you trust Woody with? I think with? Woody's the guy who's... Nothing. I think he's the direct, the race director for a team. So he's in, he's in the driver's ear and he just won't shut up. You got, you got to catch this next guy. We got to put some pressure on. You can just see the driver like, just leave me alone. Can I turn this thing off? Yeah. You're you're in seventeenth place. You gotta gotta pick it up. I'm I am a tire fire. So in some ways, like if you gave me the combination of anything that would make a spark and the gas can duties, guaranteed I'm lighting that thing up. Darren, you're the driver. Though. Have you ever changed you're the a driver, tire? Darren. Driver, Darren, no question. Bringing this thing home. <laughs> yeah, you guys, uh, you guys determine how fast we go. Though uh, I'll say that. Uh, Woody, have you changed a tire like in your life? Oh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, let's be honest. I'm 47 years old. So, um, you know, I, I didn't always have uh, I didn't always have BCAA whenever you had a flat, um, you know, the, God, these days, like half the cars don't even have spares. You just call someone. But like, yeah, I, I, I as a kid with my first car, I can remember getting out there and changing tires. Now you've just got a spare tire with you at all times. I do. Absolutely. And she's getting bigger every week. <laughs> Uh, Ingle Premium, uh, give us an idea, guys. So, uh, what's happening over on the site? Oh, speaking of um, past fantastic guests of the podcast, we managed to catch up with Chris Dreger last week of the uh, Florida Panthers, following up last year's breakthrough season with another good year uh, down in Florida. Had a little downtime in the hotel, as as one does these days um, when they're on the road, and we we spent a good half an hour going over. Like, I think we got like seven or eight different save sequences. Uh, rolled out the first one at Ingo Premium this week, and 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 folks, I'm telling you, like if you haven't listened to the interview with Chris, go back and listen to it because there were so many great lessons in there, and that just continues on with his pro reads, breaking down video uh, of the saves he made, sharing his philosophies in terms of why he did things a certain way, why he made this save selection, uh, why he manages his depth a certain way based on the situation in front of him. I'm looking forward to rolling these out along with all the other great Pro Reads guests we've got. We've got a few more new ones coming out soon. So, um, yeah, that continues every week, and Chris is a great addition to that roster. Hutch, anything else happening that we should uh, really know about? Like uh, maybe people subscribing, liking? We we haven't mentioned that in a little while. We've I've become uh, tardy, uh, a little bit uh, absent-minded on suggesting that people really give us our, our reviews on on things like the YouTube channel and the podcast. Yeah, we would really appreciate it. And and to, to mention again that the gear segment every week is over on the YouTube channel, and we'd love people to check it out. I think this week especially, you get some real fun visuals in there, as you said, sort of a unique episode. But when you're there, could you please take just three seconds to hit that little like button and say that you're enjoying the episode, maybe even leave a comment for us. Uh, it does make a big difference for us. Uh, that in, enables YouTube to to know that people are enjoying it and gets it in front of a wider audience, and we would sincerely appreciate that. And same goes for uh, for this podcast. If you're listening 
uh, whatever app you happen to be listening to the podcast on, there's a chance to get in there and give us a rating, give us a comment. Again, it just helps share, share the word about what InGoal's up to and, and builds this wider goaltending community. And we thank you for doing that. Awesome. Uh, and it does take two seconds to do it. Hit the like button and just keep on going through your day. And the, uh, the YouTube of the gear segments is fantastic. You can, you can take that, what you're hearing, and, and put it in your mind and watch Woody, like this week, uh, throw gear. It's all about uh, stops with a pit crew uh, on the line, and it's all about uh, stops with goaltending. two worlds coming together in one with uh, Brian Holland. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Thanks to him, and thanks to Cam Matwev, and thanks to you for listening as we uh, tap the brakes on this episode and get ready for another great week in goaltending on In Goal Radio, the podcast. 